today, Mary Durack of or Mary Durack Miller is one of Australia's best known literary figures. The story of her family's history, beginning with the mid nineteenth century migration from Ireland, was published by Durack in nineteen fifty nine, entitled Kings in Grass Castles. Now it included many of the pioneering families of Queensland and the north of Australia. It won her great fame. She published many other books and was a friend of numerous Australian writers and artists. Some time ago, I spoke to her daughter, Patsy Miller, who's written a story of her mother's life from the many family sources available to her, including Mary's diaries. It's a unique insight into the life and thoughts of one of the country's literary giants. I started by asking her to take us back to when her mother married aviator Horry C. Miller and whether... uh, Horry was welcomed by the family. No, he wasn't. He didn't really fit the picture at the time. He was, um, I would say, he was a well-known aviator, but eminently unsuited as a father and a husband. Mm. And she was more or less left to raise the subsequent six children. So uh, it it was just, uh, he was what you might call a hair shirt for her, but (laughs) one she wore diligently all her life. What's your memory of him like as a father? Uh, well, it does come out in the book, and I have done the very best I can with him. He was a remarkable man mm. in many ways, but um, in terms of our relationship, it wasn't too good mm. um, with anybody, actually, and my father, except for his daughter, Robin, who became the very well-known Sugarbird Lady um, pilot and um, a nurse for the Royal Flying Doctor. She was his favourite mm. and uh, he got on very well with Robin, but otherwise he wasn't really much of a father. Mm. He was a hugely absentee too because a lot of the time, of course, he's up in Broome in Mary's in, in yes. Perth, isn't he? Well, that was the only way they could actually continue the relationship, to keep a decent distance, mm. and that is precisely why it lasted. Mm. Uh, but the worst of it was that was okay. It did give my mother uh, an essential base in Broome because she had much of her work was based in the uh, east and west Kimberley. But on the other hand, he did return to Perth in his ailing old age. So she copped the awful end of it without really getting anything in the middle or the beginning that would have been helpful. Mm. But uh, that was a bit of one of the things she just had to endure. She did move up there for a while, didn't she? She, she moved oh, yes. up to Broome, and, and, and it, but it didn't work out. Tell me why. Well, we had a second house in Broome from the end of the uh, war, and um, it was uh, a place she went constantly during the year. She went back and forth from mm. Perth to Broome, and she did a lot of her writing up there because it was much more peaceful than Perth. And uh, it went on for many years until uh, it was essential to her too. It was our last bolt hole in the north after my grandfather sold up our enormous properties up there. We had uh, properties the size of Belgium. Hmm. There was a lot of family angst about that, wasn't there, the sale of the the time? um, And and what what did Mary think about it? Well, they were all very grieved that this enormous enterprise um, somehow just came down to being sold up in 1950 for the highest bidder um, rather than something that was handed down as heritage. Mm. Uh, but it got into problems over the war and the depression and so on, and there was nothing for it but my grandfather in the end could see nothing, no future except to sell out. 
and give his own children a better chance of a life than the terrible struggle to make a go of the north of the pastoral industry, Mm. which was in decline at the time. And so he thought the best thing was to sell up and they should get into professional careers, etc., like that. So it went... And um, it was a conflict because they got, one way or another, the children very tied up with the North. Mm. Did Mary think it was a mistake or did she accept that, I mean, that MPs, as he was known, his, his, his idea that, look, it's better to give my kids a lump of money than it is to give them, a, a, you know, a, a properties and projects that are beset with debt and other problems? Well, she was grieved. Uh, about it, but she was saw that there were practical sides of it. And, and in going through the immense archives, as I have done, I can see quite plainly that he had no choice mm. uh, just from a business point of view. It had got to the stage where it could no longer be sustained. And any talk about hanging on to the land and handing it down is really just a sort of an emotional thing now. Yeah, yeah. It just wasn't practical. Speaking of the North, and th- this is, of course, Mary Jack's great, great work, isn't it? Kings and Grass Castles, although we'll get to another book later, which you think is probably a, a, a better one. But Kings and Grass Castles is probably the work she's best known for in the popular uh, mind, at, at least. What is it? What was it about the story and, and why did she want to write it? Well, first of all, it was the family story that came out of the um, archives after her father's death. Uh, it all spilled out of the of the old office safes and drawers mm. and things. And she thought somebody she had a bit of an idea, but 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 not the actual documents that could make it completely accurate. But it is um, it's achieved a sort of mythology appealing to the Australian view of colonial adventure and enterprise. And uh, the Duracks left Ireland at the time when staying put was worse than the dangers and discomforts of moving to Australia, an alien land. Mm. They expected to lose a few of their family along the way. But if you had a large family, there would be survivors with prospects. And uh, when they arrived in the first half of the 19th century, Patrick and his wife Mary and their family, uh, Australia was more or less there for the taking and defying the many odds, within 33 years they owned property that amounted to about the third of Ireland. Hmm. So it was an amazing story of spills <laughs> and thrills and, um, you, you, you know. Yeah, you make an interesting point in your book. You say the Duracs were not actually widely known until Mary made them so. And uh, that, not, that was true in a way, wasn't it? It was because there were many pioneers at that time accomplishing mm. amazing feats to get the first foothold, but many of them have been just lost to history. But as luck would have it for the Duracs, from that third generation emerged a talented writer and historian that put the story of the rags to riches story, amazing, on the map and actually the largest electoral district in Australia, mm. if you look. Yeah, well, let's return to that book again in a moment. She was, she was, we're talking about the life of, of Mary Jurak, Dame Mary Jurak or Mary Jurak Miller, uh, uh, one of Australia's great literary figures, has told through recollections and records by Patsy Millet, who's her, one of her, uh, well, her daughter and one of six children. She, she was well known in Perth circles, particularly on ABC Radio. Actually, she was. Yes, that's right. She was known after the fashion of the time, uh, after her husband as Mrs. H. C. Miller, <laughs> which I, which amuses. I, I know we have to think about the context of the time, but this extraordinarily industrious, capable woman, as I say, with all these children, writing huge numbers of books and involved in all sorts of things, 
Was she ever a feminist? Did she? Because she reads like one today. But of course, these uh, these these currents weren't really around in her time. Did she ever speak to you to you girls in that in that way? No, never. She took it for granted that. Um, uh, well, by the time we were growing up in the 1960s, mm. uh, that women could do their own thing. And a, a great example of that was my sister Robin, who's very well known today. Um, and uh, I did a talk on her the other night for Rotary, and mm. there was an enormous and appreciative audience for her work. As a, and she's very much part of the story of the book that I have written, her short life as a pilot nurse for the Royal Flying Doctor Mm. Service, distributing the polio vaccine throughout the North to the Aboriginal people. And um, also everybody that my mother knew or associated with was what you might call a feminist, Mm. uh, although a lot of them were caught up in domestic as well, but they were feminists, and that she was, uh, she felt that there were many, many more important causes than feminism. It wasn't a trendy thing in her day. Mm. No, but uh, she was one of those women who just who got on with things. Um, it would have defeated a lesser woman, uh, I would have thought. She also had a share of tragedies and also uh, controversies too. Uh, tell me about the parentage of the, her sixth child, Johnson. Uh, how did she work that out with Horry? Well, I think they just came to a decision that the best thing was that he just became a part of the Miller family. You Mm. know, he was Mm. just accepted as another Miller and there it was. But he had an interesting history in as much as he was the the grandson of the great writer Ernestine Hill Mm. and he was um, directly related to, uh, he was a first cousin of, Kerry Packer, in mm. actual fact, was it a love affair with 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 the father or or not? Uh, yeah, well, I don't know that you could call it a love affair, but I think, in a way, it was a situation that was there, mm. and she sort of was manipulated or pressured into it a bit in the way she fell into so many holes in her life, my mother. Mm. But uh, anyway, that's the what occurred, and therefore we have. Um, uh, one brother who has a more interesting, perhaps, background than if you've been a son of Harry Miller. No, that's right. It's, it was solved in a way. In what, these things often were um, in during that period, weren't they? As, well, we'll just well, it was he, solved he, to the extent that he was accepted into just the family. accepted into the family and uh, and just absorbed that way. Yes. Was Horry ever was Horry ever proud of her achievements at, at all? Uh, well, that's an interesting question because um, f- as long as I can remember, he wasn't much except to ask, you know. Uh, how much are you earning? Hmm. <laughs> so he could cut down on the family allowance she got. But uh, because of the big success of her novel, hmm. uh, Keep in My Country, that really was a success, plus the, keep, uh, the Kings in Grass Castles, and people coming up to him all the time and shaking his hand with congratulations for his wife's work, he did get pretty proud of that. And um, he'd actually give a black mark to anybody who didn't congratulate him on his wife's book. So <laughs> he was an odd. Was okay. He was an odd fellow, though, wasn't he? From your from your description of him in the book, uh, I mean, t- tell me the story of how he comes down in the middle of the night when he's in the house in Perth, looking for a pencil. <laughs> well, he he used to come and go in mysterious ways without ever saying. Hmm. 
that he was. You had to sort of just have an intu- intuition that he was about to descend. That was all the warning my mother ever got. But on this night, she heard him rattling round, looking for something in the kitchen drawers very noisily. So she came in and said, oh, what are you looking for, dear? I'm um, looking for a pencil. You'd think in the house of a famous writer you could find just any old pencil. And she said, well, here's one. No, I don't like that one. I don't use indelible pencils. And she said, well... All right, well, here's a piece of chalk, so use that. And you don't want my fountain pen. No, I don't want your good pen. That chalk will do. And off she went to bed. And in the morning there was a a note written in the chalk under the milk bottle saying, gone back to broom, horry. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that was typical of him, you know. These these days you would would almost think, Domestic abuse, but anyway, let's move on. Well, uh, it was subtle. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. She was. Let, let's talk about Mary. Uh, she, she, she knew everyone, didn't she? I mean, everyone in well, Western Australia. She knew Australia. everyone who was anyone. Who was anybody. anyone? Who, that's what I mean. Who was anyone? Yes. Exactly. She knew anyone who was worth knowing, and as far as I was concerned, she knew quite a few people who weren't worth knowing <laughs> as well. For which she got a fair amount of flack from me. You know, the people you let into this house, Mum. Uh, I can't remember his name, but she did shake the hand of the the man who was known as the father of the H-bomb, yeah, one yeah. of those Americans that was very much involved in the first, uh, in the atom bomb. Mm-hmm. And um, and I was furious about that at the time against my principles that she shook his hand. And I said, you shook the hand of evil, mum? Mm. And she said, well, I didn't know, dear, that it was the hand of evil. I only know that it was courteously extended. So that was the way she got out of those things. But she did know everybody. And... Um, as you a, say her generosity, actually, her, yes. her her great spirit of inclusiveness and generosity, which yes. seems to mark her life when you read the book, that, that, yes. that, that this is the thing that got her, in your view, got her into all sorts of trouble. It, well, it certainly did, but she would ultimately say to me, well, that's my nature, dear, I can't change it. If that's the way it is, that's the way it is. But uh, there were people who constantly wanted her, first of all, to just cast her eye over their Mm. inevitable article or book. And then, of course, it got down to literally writing it for them. And uh, it it took up so much of her own creative time that I was um, very upset about that. I just, you know, she couldn't say no, particularly to dear people like uh, nuns and priests who often wanted their memoirs written Mm. or uh, possibly, you know, they wanted her to get a signature from the Pope on a holy card, any old thing they'd ask her to do, she would try to do for them. Um, And the Aboriginal people were a cause that took up a great deal of her life for which she never begrudged a moment. Mm. No, no, she knew. And she had lifelong, very firm friends. People like Barry Humphreys, for example, who was a lifelong friend of... uh of, of Mary's as well. Oh, Barry was, was very, they were, he sort of rather took on elderly ladies, Barry mm. Humphrey. <laughs> that was a bit of his thing. I think Margaret Ollie was another one he loved, yeah. but uh, he, he was his faithful friend, much more faithful to mum than he was to his wife. Mm. But there it was, Barry, and he's, he's still out there going strong. Yes. Uh, and also, well, I scarce dare say this, but she was a very good friend of Rolf Harris and uh, she would have been extremely distressed at um, at his she downfall. Would have, she would have, and yeah. also at the number of people she actually knew, particularly during the 80s, who finished up in prison, mm. that she have felt they were very nice people. What do you think? Uh, there's, I mean, you know, hindsight's a wonderful thing, I know, but her attitudes towards writing about 
Aboriginal people have changed a lot. And Mary wrote a lot about Aboriginal people, including as Aboriginal characters in her books as well. What, what did she come to think of it in the end about issues like the, the frontier violence? Uh, because the settlement of the North, of course, was accompanied by a great deal of that uh, murder and mayhem, as we know. What did she think about that and, and the land rights movement uh, in, towards well, the end of her life? Uh, it, it, during her lifetime, uh, the frontier violence was very much not to the fore. Mm. It was um, their, the right to vote, um, you know, drinking rights, land rights, Marbo decision, all those things were going on very strongly at the time. Um, the frontier violence is something that's emerged more laterally. Mm. Uh, but whatever the cause of the time was, particularly uh, the right to vote and all that sort of thing, um, she was right there always writing from her perspective, which was mostly because she had personal uh, close relations with the Aborigines of Northern Australia, that is mostly East Kimberley, Mm. who were very different from the Aboriginal people of the East of Australia. It was a different situation. And she wrote from her perspective of how their lives were and what it was like for the people she knew Mm. In short stories and in her book, she wrote a book on uh, <clears throat> called The Rock and the Sand, which was on the coming of the missionaries, which is arguably her best book. Mm. And in her youth, of course, she wrote rather whimsically about the Aboriginal people and and living on the station with them. Uh, these were books were very much of her youth and she saw later on that this didn't really cover the situation for the Aboriginal people at all. Mm. And she moved on from there. Mm. Yes, I think as as many writers have had, have done so. Uh, Patsy, well known in the book, it's a, it's a, a, a mighty effort of research and 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 sorting, and as any great family history is. But I I do thank you for your time. We've been talking about uh, the life of Dame Mary Jurek, Dame Mary Jurek Miller, and the Jurek family. Mary Jurek, of course, is the author of the King, uh, author of Kings in Grass Castles, and yes. a woman who was very much at the centre of her time in every in time. every in every way. Well, I'd just like to say that um, it should not be mistaken, the book Inseparable Elements should not be mistaken for a biography of my mother's life. It is not. It's much, much broader than that. And it only covers a portion of her life anyway. She's the central figure um, in a book which is for better or worse about people who were bound into her life, Mm. including this awful daughter who (laughs) remains for the curtain call. Now the main drama is over, but it's not really a biography. It's a very, very broad story of a family. Mm-hmm. Thanks for your time, Patsy. Well, thank you. You've been listening to a Nightlife podcast. For more great conversations about the issues that impact you, as well as features on travel and food, head to the Nightlife webpage. You'll find it at abc.net.au nightlife. You don't need to be a night owl to enjoy the nightlife.